So the next move is climate positive. So that's what we're going for this year. So we're, we're going to be audited and certified at a higher standard. We felt like we were ready for the next level up. <laughs> so we've signed up for the Climate Positive Programme. There's only 20 businesses so far in New Zealand that are climate positive. So we have to go beyond offsetting to also contributing to offsetting carbon beyond our own footprint. Welcome back to her CEO journey. Last month in March was a B Corp month where B Corp certified businesses worldwide once again commit to going beyond business as usual because we cannot afford not to. In the last two episodes, episode 196 and 197, we highlighted two businesses going beyond for climate solution, Trade Water and Carbon Zero Financial. Trade Water finds and destroys the most potent greenhouse gases before they are released into the atmosphere. While Carbon Zero Financials show us how every purchase you make today becomes an investment in tomorrow. Today, as the last episode in the Climate Solution podcast series, we highlight a B Corp certified business in New Zealand committed not only to making a profit and caring for its people, they are also going beyond for climate solutions. Tash Randall, the co-founder of Raglan Foodco, produces dairy-free yogurt sweetened only with coconut and fruits. But they go beyond producing dairy-free yogurt. In 2019, Raglan Foodco became the first Carbon Zero certified yogurt company in New Zealand. And now, they are becoming climate-positive business, which means they go beyond offsetting and start contributing to offsetting carbon beyond their own footprint. Now, let's find out Tash CEO journey. Tash Randall, welcome to her CEO journey. It is a pleasure to have you here today. Yeah, it's wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. You are currently the co-founder of Raglan Food Co., which is in New Zealand. And you have a nickname of Mrs. Coconut. However, prior to November 2014, you were a freelance journalist. But by the end of 2015, you were a full-time, multi-award winning food manufacturer. And you also received an investment for Raglan Food Co. How did this happen? That's exactly right. I was a writer and had a copywriting agency and definitely no plans of starting a food business. I started playing around with making coconut yogurt at home just because there wasn't a, a nice dairy-free option that you could buy at the time in New Zealand. Made a few extra jars one day, offered them for sale to the locals because there was too much to eat and had 60 people reply saying that they were keen to buy a jar of yogurt and only two jars of yogurt to sell. So clearly some demand for coconut yogurt in the local community and spent a whole weekend making yogurt for everyone by hand and getting jars from the recycling center and friends. And everyone who tried it loved it. And then they all told their friends and then shops wanted it and started getting calls from cafes. And that sort of just snowballed from there into this, yeah, little yogurt business. How did you even choose coconut? Well, I tried a few different things to make dairy-free yogurt at home, and I just found that coconut was the best ingredient to use. It's really rich and creamy. It has this really nice mouthfeel and texture, 
And because of the percentage of fat in it, it's sort of similar to dairy milk in that it gives you that kind of full creamy feeling. Whereas other things like say nut milks or soy, they just don't really deliver that same sort of texture. Yeah, so I just found it worked really well. And you can also source it organic quite easily. Um, we use organic coconut cream in our yogurt. Yeah, so I ended up with coconut. It was the winning ingredient. So how is Raglan Food Co. different than any other plant-based company out there? We are quite unique in many ways. I think the quality of our products is really high. That's something that people always comment on when they try it, like the, the taste, the texture, the ingredients that we use, even the packaging, you know, because we have glass jars. We were the first yogurt in New Zealand to be in a glass jar. Normally it's in plastic. And then all the kind of extra mile stuff we do as well for our team, for the community. We have a community fund so people locally can apply if they're doing something good for people or the environment and we support them with grants. We do a lot of initiatives for our team. We're like a fair wage business, so we pay above minimum wage. We have a, a team health and well-being fund that people can apply for if they want support with something like seeing a naturopath or getting counseling or even just getting a massage. We do a lot around ethics and sustainability. So we're a B Corp certified company. We have been for a few years now. And I think we're the only yogurt company in New Zealand so far that's B Corp certified. And that's a really high standard of accountability that you have to sort of measure up to. We're also carbon zero certified and we have been we're coming up five years now. So most, most of the journey. So we're tracking our emissions, we're paying to offset them, we have targets to reduce them. There's a lot of things that go into it, but we're definitely, I think, something a little bit special. <laughs> you are special. So let's dive a little bit deeper in terms of the carbon zero, because I know that your company is the first carbon zero certified yogurt company in New Zealand. And you were certified back in 2019. What made you decide that you want to be carbon zero certified? I've been following climate change for a long time now, probably since that Al Gore documentary came out, An Inconvenient Truth. When I saw that, I was like, wow, you know, we're, we're in for some real trouble here if something isn't done. And so, so I've been really aware of issues like animal agriculture and all the contributions that that makes to emissions, the, the state of the ocean, plastic pollution, and all of that really concerns me and I think it really concerns our whole team. When you care about that sort of thing and then you have a business, there's quite a lot of responsibility and, and almost pressure in a way that comes with it where you're thinking, okay, well, we have this business and we're making products and selling things, and but what are we doing? Are we making things worse or are we making things better? And so the carbon zero journey, I guess, is part of trying to do things better, trying to actually take some responsibility for the impact that you have as a business, because it doesn't matter how good your product is, you're, you're definitely contributing to emissions in some way just by using freight and power and, and all the things that go into to making something. And we just found the best certification that we could here in New Zealand. It's one that's recognized in 60 different countries. It's internationally accredited. And yeah, we just work through the process and, and we get audited every year. So if you can share a little bit about the practices or the processes that you are doing differently versus those businesses that are not carbon zero certified. 
The starting point is tracking, so measuring your emissions. So if you don't know what they are, then there's, you know, you're not very empowered to do anything about them. For example, how many truck movements you have and getting your product to stores, how much power you use as a business making the product, the amount of waste that goes to landfill from your production process, the amount that gets recycled, literally every area of creating your product. We switched our power provider to a renewable power company. So we know that we're not using any fossil fuels with our power use. We've looked at ways to uh, reduce our, our water use. And so we've developed a whole system where we clean our wastewater, the water that we use to wash out our tanks after we've made batches of yogurt. We filter it and then we've, we've built a pump system and we pump it up the hill to the avocado farmer who's behind us with the avocado farm and then they use it to irrigate their crops. So rather than a truck coming and taking our wastewater away, we're, we're using it locally in our area. So yeah, we've, we've developed a product out of waste. So we, we have all these drums, these stainless steel drums that our coconut cream comes in. And we're turning those into braziers. So we've, we've recycled them into something else that's useful that we can then sell rather than it being kind of waste that goes to scrap metal. We recycle all the cardboard layers that our jars come in. So we get pellets of jars and each one's divided by a, a layer. So we've recycled all of those. We use them for packaging material, for shipping products. And we've also even used them to um, line the ceiling of our office. When we got carpet for our office, we, we got tiles that were going to go to landfill because they don't match. So they're all kind of mismatching carpet tiles. And so we put those together in our meeting rooms. We buy secondhand furniture rather than new stuff. We have a compost on site and a worm farm. There's so many little things, you know, but if, if you have that mindset of we're going to try and do things better and reduce our footprint, then you're kind of looking for those things to do. Whereas if you weren't part of a program like that, you probably wouldn't think about it because you're just trying to get stuff done and, you know, make a product. So, yeah, so it's all kind of extra stuff, but I do think it's really important. Now, I know that in Carbon Zero Certified, there are three level. And then I believe that the third level do not own and do not control. And then that's normally involved in terms of supply chain. Who do you work with? Because you don't own them and then you don't control them. Did you have to go through that? Does it mean that when you are Carbon Zero certified, that you also have a process where you make sure your supply chain is at the same level? Yeah, so that's almost more under our B Corp. Under B Corp, they're really good at pushing for that. So with Carbon Zero, we take responsibility for everything we pay for. That's sort of a way of looking at it. So if we pay to import a shipping container of coconut cream, then we're offsetting the freight of that shipping container. But to the level where, you know, we we can't choose the type of ship that a freight company buys to be able to do their freight, you know, because we're not in charge of their company. So all you can really do there is sort of advocate for better. So yeah, examples of that would be like with B Corp, they tell you to work with your supply chains to put in better processes for tracking and measuring things. So we've been working with our freight providers, our chilled freight providers who take our deliveries to all the, the supermarkets to do a better job of measuring their truck movements. 
and try and automate that because they haven't really been doing that so far. So what is next though after Carbon Zero? Because I'm thinking Carbon Zero is not your stopping point. So the next move is climate positive. So that's what we're going for this year. So we're, we're going to be audited and certified at a higher standard. We felt like we we're ready for the next level up. <laughs> so we've signed up for the climate positive program. There's only 20 businesses so far in New Zealand that are climate positive. So we have to go beyond offsetting to also contributing to offsetting carbon beyond our own footprint. So we have to do 25% above our footprint. That's an extra cost that we will fund as a business. <laughs> and then also we have to demonstrate that we have a program that's making a positive impact for the environment as part of our business. So we've set up a community fund, which we're doing that through. And then we're also launching a new initiative this year um, called the Vibe Lifter Award. And so we're encouraging people around the country to nominate someone that they see as a vibe lifter, someone who's making a difference for the community, for the environment locally. And then we'll give them a grant of $2,500 towards the work that they're doing and also a year's supply of products <laughs> just you know, as a nice bonus. And so we're going to pick four of those every year and tell their stories and promote what they're doing. And so, yeah, between the community fund and the Vibe Lifter program, that's going to be part of our climate positive certification sort of standards to be giving back on top. And then we also have to show that we have, that we are doing something and it's to the equivalent of 75% worth of our footprint. So that's where it gets a little bit complicated, but that we're doing ourselves as a business to make a difference for the environment. So those two things that I mentioned, the community fund and the vibe lifter, those are two ways, but we're also paying staff to be paid volunteers and go plant out the dunes locally or help at the bush reserve, or we've done beach cleanups and we've planted trees all around our factory. And, you know, so we've done all these other things as well that would kind of contribute to that. But I guess what they're trying to do is say, like, you can't just, kind of do the bare minimum like you you do that but then you have to go above and, and do more now in your journey though to get to the next level to carbon neutral what were your biggest challenge to achieve this i think it was just getting the data it was actually harder than you might think <laughs> because not everyone's tracking it so we've had to implement things with certain people or certain suppliers so that we can actually find out what we need to know for our audit. Otherwise, it can be wildly inaccurate. You know, if you just get one incorrect statement from a supplier, it could show that you have, I don't know, 20 tons more carbon than, than actually you did. A lot of my audience, they are social impact businesses and founder. What do they need to do to just like get started? with their uh, carbon zero journey? Well, they probably want to sign up to a certification program. I reckon go through a program because every country has its own sort of certifying bodies around this area. So you'll be able to find something and then just check out the different programs as well because some of them, like there can be a little bit of greenwashing in this area. So, you know, if it seems too good to be true or too easy, it probably is. So just make sure it's recognized. It's been around for a while. They have good systems. You get an account manager who will actually go through everything with you. Do some homework. And then once you 
once you picked one, then they should be able to walk you through the steps and, and help you with the data collection. Yeah, I feel like that's, that's the best way to get going. Okay, you're going to go carbon positive. And as a B Corp, we have to balance between people, the planet, and the profit. So can you share your experience? How do you build your finance team? And then how do you build a team that believe in what you are doing, number one, but they also know, okay, we cannot just focus on people and the planet. There is a profitability component to it. If it was just me running the company, there would definitely be a risk of focusing only on people and planet <laughs> and kind of forgetting a bit about the profit side of things. So he's he's got a finance background and, you know, studied economic modeling and he's very good on the spreadsheets. He brings that balance and brought that balance throughout the journey of looking at the numbers, looking at our costs, making sure we're negotiating pricing. And so I think that's, you know, if, if you don't naturally have that strength as a business owner, then you really need someone in your team with that strength because it is so important. If you're not making money, you can't pay people, you can't run any programs, you can't do anything, you know, you have to have the income coming in to be able to do anything else. And then now we have a, a proper board, you know, so we've, we've got board members and, and they all have different experience in different areas and a lot of financial savvy. So, so that's great too, having that in the business. You need to have people in the business who are really genuinely passionate about doing good, about taking care of people. Because if you just have people who are focused on the numbers, they're going to forget a whole lot of really important, critical things. And then that in turn is going to push away your customers because your customers are going to see that you don't really care. <laughs> you only care about money and that's going to put them off your brand. Um, and so your sales will decline. So it actually is, I think, essential to have all of that in there and it needs to stay balanced. So when you told SAP, I think we should do carbon positive. What was his reaction? What is that back and forth and the conversation in making decision how Raglan Food Co. want to impact the world but still be profitable? What I've learned from being a do-gooder <laughs> and then dealing with numbers people, finance people, you have to make a case. So you can't go in and just say something really fluffy like, I'd like to get everyone amazing Christmas presents this year, or I'd like to start a profit share program. You have to come in with a bit of a strategy and a plan around it. So, you know, I want to do this initiative. It's going to give us these benefits. These are going to be the costs. This is how I see it sort of paying itself off or being worth doing for us. This is when I'd like to start it from. Here's a trial period. If it doesn't work, then we can can it. So you have to have a strategy around it. And if you come in with something like that, then numbers people can kind of relax a little bit and they're like, okay, they've actually thought about it. You know, this isn't sort of a harebrained idea that doesn't make any sense. And then you've kind of got a healthy discussion around it to sign it off. But you've got to have a plan. What about dealing with your investors? How do you manage their expectation of growth in revenue versus caring for people in the planet? That was always something that sort of concerned us with taking on investment. We were very cautious to take on investment. We took on our first investor in year two, um, and that was because we needed to build our first mini factory and we couldn't get a loan from the banks. We didn't have enough funds ourselves in the business to be able to fund the factory. So we luckily found a really 
amazing investor fit with a company who build plants. So they build yogurt plants for, for dairy manufacturers and they loved the product, really loved it and believed in it. And they kind of just took a chance on us, really. We couldn't give them any solid guarantees. You know, it was, it was performing well, but we were so early stage. And so we'll always be grateful to them because um, they came on board and we, we did sort of a, a swap. So shares for um, equipment. So they funded the, the build of the mini factory in exchange for shareholding. So that worked really well because they had the technical knowledge. So they were able to support us, you know, through the next stages of growth and building a much bigger factory and adding more tanks and all of that really valuable advice. They were quite low touch, you know, we, we would catch up every couple of months for a dinner and fill them in on what was happening and send them financial statements. But they really didn't want to get involved in the day-to-day of the business. We had a really positive experience in terms of our first investors, which I know isn't the case for a lot of businesses. And I've, I've heard so many horror stories. And then more recently, just over a year ago, we had a, a bigger investor come on board. And so they've actually bought out the shares that the other company had. So, so they've kind of gone on that growth journey with us and, and exited. And we brought them on board because we wanted to expand overseas. And that's kind of what they specialize in. So we're wanting to, to take the yogurt to the States, for example. And they work with food brands and help them expand offshore New Zealand food brands. So we really needed that kind of expertise. So not just the money, but also the experience and the networks and connections. And that kind of felt like the right time for another partner. So that's the only two sort of investment decisions that we've made in the journey. And I think both times it was just looking for the right partnership fit, not not looking just at the money and looking at what they can actually offer the business, how they can contribute and does it make sense for the business to work with these people? Because I think what happens a lot with investment decisions or just from talking to people is people can just get a little bit desperate for the money. You know, they're like, we really need it. We can't grow or we, we want to build this or we want to fund this. And they just want to take the money. So they'll almost just say yes to whoever comes along. And then you're stuck with them, you know? It's, it's like getting into a relationship. It is a very, very big decision. And we spent maybe, it was over a year talking with this company. They're called Pioneer, the ones who have invested in us recently. And yeah, it was over a year before we actually made a deal with them because we were really trying to suss out if it was the right fit. But Tash, you know, you mentioned earlier, sometimes people are desperate. How did Raglan Food Co. avoid feeling that desperation of needing money? I think because we put everything back into the business the whole way. So we just, we reinvested everything. It made such a difference. We just put everything back in from day one. I mean, we didn't pay ourselves for the first few years at all and just tried to be really frugal. Like we were, we were pretty frugal with costs and, and trying to do things cleverly op shop rummaging and getting things secondhand and fixing things rather than getting new things. And we were quite careful, I think, with how we how we did it. So that's why. So we weren't desperate, which yeah, and I'm really grateful that, you know, it was able to work out that way because so many things could have gone pear-shaped along the way that didn't. You got this latest funding because you are expanding. 
And then you mentioned U.S. Is that a plan in the horizon for 2023? It's definitely on the horizon for this year. It's something we've been working towards for quite a long time. What is your personal reflection on this journey so far? My personal reflection is that I think there is almost no better personal development program than having a business. (laughs) You could sign up for a lot of courses and conferences, but you'll learn so much about yourself and other people from the kind of responsibility and challenge of running a business. So I can recommend it for personal development. (laughs) (laughs) So Tash Randall, Mrs. Coconut, thank you so much for being here. It has been a pleasure to speak with you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, Christina. And that's bring us to the end of another episode. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for mission-driven women entrepreneurs. When you are ready to grow to the next level and seeking a finance team and a fractional CFO who are all in on your mission and can help you maximize profit to make a bigger social impact, connect with us at theprofitreimagine.com forward slash let's chat.